invite your attention to Romans chapter 1 tonight. Romans chapter 1, we're going to look in verse 14 and 15. Romans chapter 1, uh, an obligation and ministry or motives for ministry, both of those uh, are appropriate. And uh, we're going to be looking tonight at some of the things relating to the heart and our service of the Lord. Romans chapter 1, verse 14, I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise, so as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. I am a debtor. I am ready. Uh, Paul is describing then, obviously, some things that he is feeling in his heart as he begins to contemplate uh, his ministry to the churches. There was more than one, the churches at Rome. I've mentioned to you before that it's somewhat of a mystery uh, in that why Paul would write other than that he was inspired to do so, uh, why he would write such a lengthy letter, one of his longest, to a church he was planning to go see. But uh, there's no real explanation for that other than that he had a lot of things on his mind, the Spirit of God led him to do so, and, and that's really the only answer to that question that we're ever going to have. Uh, but this is a part of his introduction to him, and right up front, he is talking to them about how much they are on his heart. And it reminded me of something that I read many years ago uh, where a pastor was describing a very traumatic experience that he had gone through uh, pastoring a church uh, that was being torn to shreds. And that happens sometimes. Uh, every church that preaches the Bible is a target for the enemy, and sometimes he just unleashes all of his fury uh, against them. He can get a, a foot in the door. Sometimes he gets the whole person in the door. And uh, uh, it's uh, amazing then how much that damage that wolf can do uh, or a lion can do when he is turned loose in a flock of sheep. This pastor was describing how the easiest thing in the world then for him to have done would have been just to quit, go away, just walk away. But uh, number one, that wasn't what God was leading him to do. And number two, uh, he knew that if that happened, there would be nothing left. The church then would be defenseless. And so he had to stay. And uh, he asked then a very poignant question as he described his experience. And, and that's what stands out in my mind tonight uh, when he said, you know, the ministry is hard work, but it's also heart work. The primary implement in the ministry is the heart. And how, how do you keep serving? How do you keep doing ministry when your heart is broken? And that, that's, that's a question that... Uh, he tried to answer and answered the best he could. When our heart uh, is, is feeling the pain uh, and our heart is troubled, our heart is disturbed, our heart we know is not what it should be. Now, Americans, it seems like all the time, are getting more and more aware of heart health. And, of course, when I talk about heart health, suddenly I've shifted. Now we're talking about uh, that physical heart, that muscle that pumps the blood. And, and we're concerned about that because we know if that thing stops, mm, no, I mean, it just, uh, we know what that means, heart health. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23, keep your heart shift back now. That's our spiritual heart. Keep your heart 
with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Keep your heart with all diligence. And for all the concern then that we express over taking care of our physical heart and being heart healthy from time to time, and maybe a lot more than we all do, we need to take a long look at our spiritual heart. Because as we look here in this text tonight, we're going to see Paul uh, describing some things that he is feeling as he introduces himself in a way to the churches at Rome and he begins to talk to them about the gospel. He is careful to point out to them his concern, his compassion, his burden for them. Now, the Apostle Paul was a brilliant man, a highly, highly educated man. Uh, he certainly was not lacking in ability. He had, uh, as a deep thinker, he was a, a rare person in that he could both think great and profound thoughts and at the same time express them clearly and even use uh, the language that they were familiar with so they could see those thoughts then playing out in their everyday life. He was a tremendously educated man, but he was also a blessed man uh, because he could uh, take his message as a real person to real people with uh, questions and doubts and hesitations and frustrations and concerns, and he could take the truth then of God and make it come alive in the lives of people. They could see it, could understand it. After all these many centuries, we still can. We still read his writings and, and think about his thoughts. We would have to say that the Apostle Paul and you'd understand that the Apostle Paul, if he was here tonight, he would say that I am what I am by the grace of God. How do we know he said that? Because he did. Uh, he would say the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. How do we know he'd say that? Because he did. Uh, he would say uh, that God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of Jesus Christ. How do we know he would say that? Because he did. But any student of history would have to say that the Apostle Paul is one of the most influential men who ever lived. 2,000 years after he's died, we still read his words. Granted, they were inspired of God, yes, but God used him in a mighty way. And in this passage, he used him to show, just kind of to open up his heart and show how that we need heart work how our heart needs to work uh, in the ministry. Five things then in this passage that he opens up about, and first thing that we see is the gratitude in verse 8. He said, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. <laughs> uh, the churches at Rome were famous, world famous, world renowned for their faith. Uh, Paul was a long way from them, but he had heard about what God was doing in the churches at Rome and, and the faith that they had in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what a note then, the positive encouragement that Paul begins with, with simply being able to say, I thank God for you. I thank God for you and I, because I am hearing all over the world what great faith uh, that you have. In a way, he describes them as world-class Christians. Now, one of the reasons why this is so important is that people tend to become what we tell them they are, especially if we're in a position of authority. Uh, if we tell them they're losers, they'll become losers. That's why I hate that word. 
and uh, why that I correct every uh, young person that I ever hear call somebody else uh, by that name. Tell people they're a loser. They'll become a loser. Treat them like you can't trust them. Don't be surprised then when they steal from you. <laughs> uh, don't believe anything they say. Don't be surprised if they become a liar. If you treat a person like they're untrustworthy, they tend to become that way. Paul then was using that incredible power, the power of words, uh, to tell them uh, that his prayers for them and his concern for them was tied to his perception of them. We want a heart for the ministry. This is one thing we have to learn to do. Listen tonight. We have to learn to see people, not just for what they are, but for what they can be by the grace of God. See them not just for what they are, but what they can be. Look past their problems to their potential. Some of you work down in the children's department, and we always need help down there. By the way, just a little plug. I always need help back in the children's department. You're looking for a place to serve? Oh, I'm your friend. <laughs> I've got a place for you. And, uh, uh, you're back in the children's department. Uh, you're struggling with that fidgety little boy that can't be still and cannot be quiet. I want to remind you, God has an amazing way of calling those fidgety little boys that can't be quiet into the gospel ministry. You never know. <laughs> uh, listen, I've seen it over and over and over again. God has amazing ways of, uh, of turning uh, those young lives, both little boys and little girls, into great champions for His cause. Don't give up on them. Learn to see them for what they are. I know that creativity gets on your nerves sometimes. I, I understand that all those questions and all those comments and those incessant uh, things that they come with, uh, that uh, incredible imagination. But remember, God has fashioned them. God has formed them. God has a purpose for them. You never know how he's going to use that creativity, that imagination, that energy. Don't just see them for what they are. See them for what they can be by the grace of God. Tell them every now and then. God has great plans for you. Oh, God is going to use you if you'll let him in great ways. I'm so thankful for you. Tell them. You read on through the book of Romans, you're going to find out it was not a troubled church or churches like the churches at, or the church at Corinth was. He, he's not writing to issue a lot of co uh, correction to them for all the things they were doing wrong. Um, but they still had some challenges. Uh, it doesn't take long reading in the book of Romans to find out that he's writing to a lot of Jews and Gentiles who weren't getting along real well and more, who weren't treating each other very well. And in fact, the Jews had, had gotten so much full, of, had become so full of turmoil in the city of Rome that they ha had actually been kicked out of Rome, expelled for a while. And they've just now been let back in uh, as Paul is writing this letter to them. So uh, this concept of, of telling them to behave, to treat the Gentiles uh, with more compassion and concern, it's written all over this letter. So there were some things that they needed to work on. There's no doubt about it. They needed a better understanding of the grace of God. But this wasn't a time for all of that. 
he starts out by telling them, I just thank God for you because your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Tell them. God did that. When the angel appeared to Gideon, what did he call him? Mighty man of valor. What was he doing? Hiding. Hiding. Threshing grain so the Midianites wouldn't see it and take it away from him. He looked anything like a man of valor, but God called him a man of valor. When God spoke to Abram and changed his name to Abraham, Abram meant father. Abraham meant father of multitudes, father of many. God called him father of multitudes. He wasn't yet, but he would be. Romans 4, 17 speaks of that very thing. As it is written, I've made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they are. You know, that's not what it says. You've probably got a modern translation that says that, but in this particular case, uh, the King James has got it absolutely right. He calls things that are not as though they are an accomplished fact at some time, some point previous. <laughs> not as though they are. <laughs> he, he calls them as though they were. That's an amazing thing. God sees them as already done. So we need that spirit in ministry to be able to look beyond what people are and see what they are as a saved person, what they are by the grace of God, what they can be or could be if God works in their life. Let's encourage that. I thank God for you. That's the gratitude. Then he speaks of his prayers. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Now this is not the only church that Paul said he prayed for without ceasing. So obviously he did not mean that he just prayed for the church at Rome all the time. That's not what without ceasing means. Uh, what it means is that he prayed for them regularly and often. He prayed for them what in a way that we would call with consistency. He prayed for them regularly. He was consistent in his prayers as opposed to uh, somebody who prayed one time and then six months later said, oh yeah, I need to pray for him again. And no, it wasn't that kind of thing. He prayed for them regularly. They were a regular and consistent part of his prayer life. How does that relate to our compassion, our heart? Well, uh, it's impossible. I'm not going to say it's real difficult. I'm going I'm to say it's impossible for us to pray for somebody regularly, consistently, without ceasing, while remaining indifferent to them. Prayer and concern go together. If you're angry and upset at somebody, pray for them. You're going to find out you can't stay mad at them <laughs> and pray for them at the same time. You can't hold a grudge against them. Not no, you can't. Not and pray for them regularly and often. Prayer and concern go together. In fact, it's one of those times where we wonder, does the prayer produce the concern or does the concern produce the prayer? And the answer to that question is yes. Yes. Concern causes us to pray. Pray. 
causes our concern to grow. And so Paul says, not only am I grateful for you, but I am praying for you. Can you imagine what it must have been like for people? And if you'll read the writings of Paul, you'll find prayer is dripping off of almost every page of his, of his writings and of his books. That might have been one of the reasons why he was so effective. Amen? He spent a lot of time praying. As you read his work, you'll find that prayer was just dripping off of every page, almost every page will contain a prayer or some reference to prayer. Can you imagine what it must have been like to get a letter to your church or to be like Philemon or Timothy or Titus and get a letter from Paul the Apostle and he says, I'm praying for you. I am praying. You showed his concern, his compassion then for them uh, by not only being grateful for them and speaking positively then to them, but also in praying for them. Then he expresses the longing I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now, the impartation of spiritual gifts is one of the things I believe the apostles did regularly. I'm not going to go into that tonight. I've gone into it before several times. But uh, you'll remember that Paul talked to Timothy about the gift that was in him uh, by the laying on of his hands. And now here we have this passage in Romans where Paul talks about going and imparting unto them uh, some spiritual gift. Uh, there are times in the book of Acts where the apostles would go to places and lay hands on people and they received certain gifts from the Holy Spirit. Some of them included and involved even the gift of tongues. These things happened in the New Testament era. It was a part of the apostolic gift and ministry. And so Paul could look at the church at Rome and say, I long to see you. I want to impart to you some spiritual gifts. Uh, I know there might be some areas maybe where your ministry is lacking because in all probability for Paul to have said that, it probably meant that no apostle had yet visited the churches at Rome. Uh, we know Paul had not been there. Most likely Simon Peter, as far as we know, had not been there. None of the other apostles had been there. And so there was no question in his mind that there was some gifts that these people needed. Maybe were lacking in their ministry, and he could impart those to them. He also knew that there was some truth. Remember, the apostles, before the Bible was written down, the apostles were the walking Bible. And so there was obviously some knowledge that they needed so that they might be established. But even as he talks about his ministry to them, he also very quickly turns that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. I long for you. One commentary had that as I'm homesick for you. I talked about that this morning. I have a serious, deep longing to see you. Now, he had some kinfolk in Rome. He'll talk to them at the end of the book. But for the most part, these are people he had never met. And yet he had a deep and sincere longing to see them, to help them. And he knew that in ministering to them, those people were going to minister to him as well. That's the way it works. You've gone to try to cheer up other people and been cheered. 
You've gone to try to minister to other people and been ministered to. There's something about being involved in the Lord's work. It always works that way. It worked that way for Paul. I want to come to see you. I want to help you. But I know even as I say that, that you are going to help me and encourage me as well. And he could say that for the most part, remember, about people that he never knew. Have you had the experience yet uh, through that marvelous thing we call the Internet? Uh, have you had that experience of meeting someone online, maybe corresponding with them and developing a friendship with them, though you'd never met them personally? Have you had that experience? Uh, I, I hope you all don't think I'm weird, but I, I've had that experience several times. I, I, I remember meeting a man, meeting a man, uh, in Romania, a uh, pastor there of a church in uh, Conesco, Con Conesco, way up north, somewhere, I can't pronounce it, his, I can't even call his last name, Dan Boeing, you know, as best I can do, uh, I just called him Brother Dan, Brother Dan. Brother Dan spoke much better English than I spoke Romanian. Uh, he still does. Uh, but just in writing to him, and uh, emailing, corresponding back and forth with him. I, I developed a friendship with him. Uh, when I met him, actually face-to-face, -face, it almost seemed a little awkward because, you know, you can plan your conversations out a little bit better online. And, and now all of a sudden we had to do something old-fashioned. <laughs> we had to talk. <laughs> it, it's, it's a lot tougher to talk, just carry on a conversation than it is... Uh, uh, to plan things out by email. I've had that experience with many different people over the years, other pastors that I've corresponded with at length, though I've never met them, Christians that I've corresponded with at length that I've never met, and then when you finally meet them, it seems a, just a little bit strange. I really don't think Paul had that experience in Rome. He longed for these people. He couldn't wait to get there. And he wanted to actually meet them, to minister to them, and strengthen them. Those people were precious to him, though he had never met them. I heard about a university professor who was stressed out by the constant interruption to his work by students. He said, everywhere I went, I couldn't go anywhere that people were not constantly interrupting me and wanting to talk to me. He said it transformed his work when he finally figured out that these people were not interrupting his work. They were his work. And if that's true in the classroom, it is even more important in the sanctuary, even more important in the church. Uh, Paul knew these people were his work. He couldn't wait to see them. He longed for them. It's not surprising then that he described next his readiness. I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. So as much as in me is... He says, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. Not everybody can go to where missionaries go, but everybody can do what missionaries do. We can all share the gospel. We can all tell people about Jesus Christ. If you've been saved tonight, then you can tell somebody else how to be saved. And as Paul describes then the work of the gospel, I'm ready, he said, to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. And there's two sides to that coin. On the one hand, uh, there is the side of a, a preparation. He was prepared. He was ready. 
He was ready to preach the gospel. He knew what it was. He knew how to express it. He knew how to share it with others. He was well-versed, well-schooled, had a good understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And because of that, because he was ready, <laughs> he was ready. He was not just uh, prepared to do so, but then he was willing, even eager to do this. Have you ever studied, prepped, got ready, I mean ready, for a test? And you knew you were ready. You knew you had the material down. And then you was eager. When the test was being passed out, said, bring it on. Bring it on. I'm ready. I know I'm ready. No brag, just fact. I, I'm ready. I know it. And you're eager to get on with it. Maybe you prepared a presentation and, and you've got to give it. And, and, and you're ready. You know you're ready. And there's a sense of eagerness because you know you're ready. We contrast that then when we're not prepared, when we're not ready. And there's the fear and the dread that comes because we know we're not ready. Well, Paul had both sides of that equation down. He was ready, and therefore he was ready. He was prepared, and therefore he was willing and even eager to share the gospel. And we know that was on his mind because he said, As much as is in me, I am ready to share the gospel, to preach the gospel uh, to you who are in Rome also. He was ready. As much as in me is. And lastly then, we can't help but notice the boldness that he had. Because he goes on to say, for I am not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein, that is in the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Paul had the confidence then that came because he was ready, he was prepared, and, and he had the willingness, even the eagerness that was born out of that because he knew that the gospel worked, and he expresses it here. And he expresses it in two different ways. He describes how that the gospel reveals the righteousness of God, uh, that is, the righteousness of God that is from faith and to faith, for the just shall live by faith. Paul had the answer to the age-old question, how can a man be just before God? We look at ourselves and know our sinfulness. We look at God and we know His holiness. How can a sinful man be righteous in the sight of God? Can we keep the law? Can we do what's right all the time? Can we live up to God's high standards of holiness? Can we be what God has commanded us to be? Do what God has commanded us to do, can we? Well, as you read on the book of Romans, you're going to find out there was a time in Paul's life when he would have answered that question in the affirmative. He said, I was alive without the law once. That is, I didn't really understand the law, but the commandment came and sin revived. He said, and I died. The law killed me. He 
He said, I would have not known sin except the law shall say thou shalt not covet. And that's what got him. He could not control like none of us can. He could not control every thought that entered his mind. Could not control all the things that he thought about doing or wanted to do that he couldn't do or shouldn't do. He tried. But he couldn't win the battle. Only one ever has. And that's the one who died for you and me. It is the one then that becomes a source and substance of what the Bible speaks of in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21 when the Bible says, For he, and that's God, hath made him, and that's Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. In it, that is the gospel, the good news, is revealed the righteousness of God. The only way that a sinful man can be right in the sight of God is to be washed by the blood of Jesus Christ, cleansed from our sin, and made righteous in His sight because of Jesus Christ. It is the righteousness of God, he said, that is by faith. If you think about that, it makes sense then that the next thing that he talks about is God's wrath. Because what makes the gospel crucial is the fact that God's wrath is revealed against all unrighteousness. Both of those statements are counter-cultural in America today. To say that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only way that man can achieve righteousness in the sight of God, oh, there are people who will howl at that. To tell them that we either submit to the righteousness of God by faith or we abide under the eternal wrath of God. Oh, oh, the world hates that. You know, they hated it when Paul said it too. That's why he talked about the offense of the cross. And how he had suffered for the preaching of the gospel, the loss of all things. In fact, if you look back in, in history, you'd almost come to the conclusion that the gospel does better under fire when it's opposed and facing that kind of opposition than it does when it's popular. And again, that makes sense. One of the best things you can do to a bunch of Baptists is tell them, you can't do that. Well, I'll show you. And the more they tell us not to preach the gospel, the more they tell us not to pray, the more inclined, of course, we are to do that very thing. Hey, low motive is better than no motive at all. I, as long as we're getting the gospel out. Paul said that himself, same guy. He said, some preach Christ out of envy and strife, supposing to add affliction to my bonds because Paul was in prison. But he said, either way, Christ is preached. And there's power in the sharing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So in the gospel, he says, there's a boldness that he has toward the gospel. Why? Because the gospel reveals the righteousness of God, which is by faith. But the gospel also stands in opposition to the wrath of God. And it's so crucial and it's so important because God's wrath has been revealed against all unrighteousness. And so it's crucial 
to have righteousness because God's wrath is revealed against all unrighteousness. Where does that boldness come from? Well, I, I tried. I, I thought of, uh, tried to think of a lot of ways that I might could express what I was thinking about, but I honestly thought about just telling you a story, just a fable. i ask you to imagine something. You're, you're going down I-40, headed to Memphis. It's a dark, dark night, kind of raining, kind of foggy. You're following a line of trucks. Imagine that. Is that hard? All of a sudden, you see brake lights light up in front of you, and suddenly those lights of those trucks disappear. They just vanished. You slam on your brakes. You get there. You barely get stopped. The bridge is out. What do you do? More cars are coming. You're in mortal danger where you are. Do you risk it to try to warn people? You've got to get to them because it's going to take them a while to stop. What do you do? Do we sense a boldness and an urgency that requires us to do something because we know that if we don't warn people, hundreds of folks may die before enough cars get stopped to stop traffic? Do we sense the urgency? Something's got to be done. I've got to tell. I'm not sure that's a, a good way of, of describing the urgency in this text. I don't know. Like I said, I, I racked my brain and tried to think about it. I might just stand with what Paul did. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation. Because the gospel reveals how sinful men can be right with the holy God because the wrath of God is revealed against all unrighteousness. We can kind of leave it there because the story is that the gospel is the way that people can be right with God. And if they're not right with God, they face an eternity in a place the Bible calls hell. There's an urgency then to share in the gospel, a boldness to our sharing of the gospel because we know it's the only way to be right with God. And if we're not right with God, they face the wrath of God. Ministry is hard work. It is. Sharing Jesus Christ in the world in which we live is hard work. It makes you a target for ridicule and a lot of other things. Being involved in, in, in compassionately then trying to show our compassion, our heart to other people. Because it's not just hard. It's not something, if it was hard, 
you know, chopping wood's hard. And if you're not chopping enough wood, what do you do? You just chop more wood. It's hard. But if you work harder, you accomplish more. But you can work hard and work harder and harder and harder. But in sharing the gospel, it's not just about how hard you work. It's about your heart. And we see then tonight some ways that we can check our heart to see if our heart is in what we're doing as ambassadors for Christ. Maybe tonight you need to receive Christ as your Savior. Maybe tonight you need to follow the Lord in baptism. Maybe tonight you understand God's leading you to be a part of this church family. We'd love to have you in whatever way we can receive members. But, um, tonight maybe it's just a time for us to check our heart. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Let's stand together.